It's good to see you back here tonight. Hope you've had a good afternoon. And as was announced this morning, tonight's lesson will be a little bit different. It won't be classic uh, preaching in that sense of the word, but I think it's going to be some important material. I'm thankful uh, for all of the well wishes, for all of the encouragement, and um, obviously will be. Uh, I won't be here next week, but my my thoughts will sure be with you all about 10 a.m. Uh, next Sunday morning as you all begin the new journey with Barry. And so that's going to be a great thing. It's been an honor and a privilege for me to serve during this interim time and thankful for new friendships, friendships that in my mind will be lifelong. And so very thankful for that. I want to open tonight with an article uh, that Tom Holland included in a book of his called Steps into the Pulpit. This was all the way back in 1975, and so you're going to hear some numbers that sound kind of strange. Well, I don't know if he wrote this article in 75. He included it in a book in 75, and so the, it goes back a few years, but I think you'll understand uh, the gist of the article. He says, After years of searching, the perfect preacher has finally been found. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every type of work from preaching to custodial service. He makes $90 a week, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a good car, and gives $30 a week to the church. He also stands ready to contribute to every good cause that comes along. He's 26 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He's short and tall, slender and heavyset, handsome but not overly so. He has one brown eye and one blue eye. His hair is parted down the middle, left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with the older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of the office. This is going to be an unusual lesson tonight. When a couple is going to get married... We look at them very oddly if they are frowning on premarital counseling. That's an important thing. I'm looking at y'all, yeah. I know y'all are going to get married. I, I, I'm going to assume that you've had some premarital If a couple doesn't sit down with somebody and, and start to try to understand what marriage is going to be about, we'll look at them and say, well, you really ought to rethink that. But a lot of times, and, and in a lot of ways, a preacher's relationship with a congregation is a bit like a marriage. And so sometimes it makes sense to sit down and think about that relationship. And it's not something that we talk about a lot. Now, I typically will present this lesson in a congregation where uh, the church is in the process of changing preachers. I've done this lesson for churches where they have no idea who their next preacher is going to be. I've done that when the preacher's been hired and he's just not here yet, like is the case with Barry. I've actually presented this lesson with the new preacher sitting in the room. Uh, the church brought him in for a couple of weeks to kind of move in and get acclimated before they put him in the pulpit. So I presented this and the guy was sitting right there in the room. And so uh, various situations, but I believe it's worth spending some time considering how this important relationship can be strengthened and improved. 
There are, some in, there are resources that talk about the preacher and his work, but what I've found is most of the time the resources are directed for preachers who are learning to be preachers. So they pick up something, okay, this is the work of the preacher. Most of that's not directed at the church as a whole. Uh, now, Willard Conchin in one of his workbooks called Do You Know the Brethren, uh, he had a chapter on the, the work of the preacher. But some of what we're going to think about tonight comes from a book that was written about a decade ago. It's called The Great Commission Part 2, Becoming the Hands of Christ. It was written by Glenn Newton and Steve Cummings, two friends of mine. And when they say The Great Commission Part 2, what they're talking about is, okay, what happens after somebody becomes a Christian? Well, in their book, they devoted a chapter to the work of the preacher. And so I hope as we dive in and as we think about these things tonight, all I want to do is cause us to think, maybe help us grow a little bit. I want your relationship with Barry to be everything that it can be. And so as we start, think about what's at stake. Shepherds have a responsibility for the flock, leading the flock, feeding the flock, deciding, okay, from the Word of God, what is the congregation going to feed on? Now they will have, they may have Ryan preparing a curriculum for the adult Bible study, but a great deal of what happens from the pulpit, the, the, the shepherds, they select a preacher, they bring him to work with the church, and, and so the church is fed in one sense by that preacher that the elders have engaged for this work. Studies have concluded that the church, the congregation, will take on the personality of its preacher in about year seven. Now you may or may not agree that that's a good thing. I, I, I don't have an opinion on that, but think about if a church, and it's another way of saying a church will do its best work with a preacher beginning in year seven. But think about how many times the, the relationship never makes it that far. And I wonder if it's a situation where maybe the, the expectations are too low. There are some churches where they just have an expectation that that, that pulpit is going to be a rotating thing about every three, four, five years. I mean, we're going we're to have somebody new in there. That's just how that church operates. But I also wonder if the expectations could be too high. I wonder if there are preachers that are out there looking for the perfect congregation, which does not exist. And so when that, they don't find the perfect church, then they're ready to move on. Well, that, that's, that's expectations that are too high. And then I wonder sometimes if there are churches that are looking for the perfect preacher because that guy doesn't exist either. Um, and, and so I wonder sometimes, since the expectations aren't met, I wonder if the relationship either fails completely or the relationship never reaches its potential. And so we want to begin by talking about, okay, what should you expect from your preacher? And there are some things you should expect, and as we set this up, I want to think for just another moment or two about expectations. Are there any expectations that, that, that you have for your preacher? What are they? Are they reasonable? Are they communicated? I believe it's important for shepherds to communicate to the church some of the expectations expectations that they have uh, for the preacher. So expectations, leadership to preacher, and then leadership to the church, because in so many cases, when you hear about trouble going on, there's a lack of clarity, and there's a lack of communication, and so uh, everybody's not on the same page regarding what's supposed to be going on. 
Lonnie Jones, who most of you have heard speak and probably know personally, he told a story about, I think it was his first ministry job he'd taken, and it was in a congregation where the, the, the church owned a home, and Lonnie, as the youth minister, was living in the home. It was across the parking lot. And so as he started that work, somebody in leadership came to Lonnie and said, listen, when you, when you go into work, when you go into the office, it might be a good thing if you just move your car over there to the church building, to the office, so that everybody would kind of know that you're at work. And so Lonnie, the young, compliant youth minister, he begins doing that. Well, not too long, a couple weeks go by, and somebody else in leadership comes to him and says, you know, Lonnie, you look kind of lazy when you drive your car across the parking lot to go to work. You know, sometimes the preacher feels like he cannot win because not everybody's on the same page regarding expectations. Uh, Another preacher friend of mine, he was working with a congregation, and it was a church where... Uh, the, the compensation package wasn't everything the church wanted it to be. Uh, the preacher had a need for transportation. And so the, the shepherds of that church, they looked at the resources they had and they looked at the need of the preacher and they looked at some other things they wanted to accomplish. And so they said to their preacher, listen, why don't you use the church van sometimes during the week to take care of some of the things you need to take care of. We, we want you to do that. It's, you know, we can't write you a bigger check right now, but we can let you use the van. And, and we would like our church van to be seen around town. So, shepherds, preacher, conversation, same page. But the members didn't know that. And the members started seeing the preacher running around town in the church van doing what looked like to them personal business. And really, it wasn't the business of the members, but they got up in arms about that. And again, expectations. Not everybody on the same page. Christianity's tough. Because sometimes in the world, we deal with people when once they know we're Christians, they will try to hold us to a standard of living that we can never live up to. Hopefully, though, inside the family, hopefully we don't do that to each other, and hopefully we don't do that same thing to our preacher. So reasonable expectations from the pulpit, and with that we want to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's not going to be a lot of scripture in this lesson. We will notice some verses about the preacher and his work, but these are familiar verses to you, especially familiar to us. We hear these in chapel uh, down in Florence a lot as we're training preachers. But Paul writes this to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. One survey that was done suggests that related to preaching... Our expectations are not always being met. 80% of respondents to one survey responded by saying that within our brotherhood there is a lack of effective preaching. And so when you think about the work of a preacher, what should you be expecting? Well, number one, you should expect to be changed for the better every time the Word of God is preached. When we come together and we sit down and the Word's going to be preached, we should expect to feed on something from the Word of God that will strengthen our walk with God. As elders, um, 
when they think about the, the flock feeding that they sanction through bringing in a preacher, there should be an expectation that people will, will be moved from where they are closer to where God wants them to be every single time the Word of God is preached. Now, you know as well as I do though, the attitude that we bring into the room as listeners also bears on this. Because there are multiple ways to hear a lesson. There is the in the mirror, I needed that, but then also the way of listening where we do I sure hope they heard that or you know I needed that because that'll help me reach people the, the way we listen is super important number two we should expect from the pulpit the idea that we're going to hear the whole counsel of God not all in one sermon of course the whole counsel of God proclaimed with a Christ-like spirit in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 26, Paul said this. He said, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. When I think whole counsel of God, one of the words that comes to mind for me is the idea of balance. You think about God and, and, and preaching. It's the idea, if we're talking about God, we're going to present a holistic view of God. Yes, we're going to talk about His love and His grace and His mercy and His peace, but we're also going to talk about the fact that the Bible reveals a God who is unchanging and a God who's jealous and a God who is a consuming fire. It's a holistic view of God. Balance and, and, and the whole counsel of God means too that as a preacher, I'm not going to get up and ride my hobby horse. I'm not going to get up and ride my one issue every, every, every week because that's not proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Think about the way Jesus taught and the way Jesus ministered. There was compassion with Him. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, you see a view of that. In Matthew 14, we talked about that chapter just a few weeks ago. Uh, the crowds are following Jesus and when He sees them, He comes to the shore. Uh, the Bible says He feels compassion and so He takes time with them. He heals their sick. He feeds them. He was a compassionate teacher. But then he was also the kind of teacher where there was severity and there was concern when that was needed. In John chapter 12, Jesus is upset. Jesus is emotional because the Bible's telling us in John chapter 12 there are people who've heard his message, there are people who he knows they believe in him, but they will not confess him because they're afraid of what people are going to say and what people are going to think and what's going to happen to them as a result. And so as Jesus cries out in John 12, he is emotional. Sometimes your preacher may be emotional. But hopefully it's always because of severity, the concern, the love that goes with that. Jesus taught hard things, and sometimes your preacher may teach hard things. In John 15, Jesus is talking about non-fruitful branches being pruned away from the vine. That's a hard teaching. Hopefully the preaching is always done with a servant's heart. And again, always with love. Number three, you should expect substance. Your preacher should be prepared. Your preacher should be interesting. There should be passion in the preaching. The, the good news from God's Word should never be boring. I looked for a clip of it on YouTube. I was going to show it. I could not find it. If you're an Andy Griffith watcher, you may remember there was an episode where Andy Griffith got himself in a bit of trouble because he was in town sitting on a bench talking with a person in town and they got to talking about their preacher. 
And they were talking about the fact that the preacher was dry as dust. You remember that episode? And as we, you know, the thing that made the episode funny is that, of course, word about that got back to the preacher. And so then Andy's having to deal with the, the fact that the preacher knows that Andy thinks he's dry as dust. Now, should Andy have been talking about his preacher that way? No, probably not. But you know whose fault that is, really, when you get all the way down to it? It's the preacher's fault. If the preacher's dry as dust, it's the preacher's fault. The preaching should never be without passion. The Word of God is not boring and should never be presented as boring. Preaching needs to have application to real life today. That means, as a preacher, I need to know kind of what's going on in the world around me. I need to watch the news. And then sermons that are going to be preached, they're ones that are hopefully are needed. And I would say this, most preachers welcome when you come to them and say, listen, when you can work it in, I think we could use a, a lesson on X, Y, or Z. Most preachers like to know that there are things that the church is interested in hearing about. Number four, you should expect, and I've kind of alluded to this, that every sermon will be bathed in prayer and delivered in love. You remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul talks about speaking the truth in love? Several years ago, Philip Hines, one of our graduates, he preaches in Hartsell, Alabama, has preached there for years and years, but he came in and he was delivering a session for our alumni about how to preach like Paul. What do you see in Paul's life that can help you as a preacher? And as Philip was teaching that lesson, he talked about the idea, he said, you know, I like to get to that church building early on a Sunday morning because I like to get there and kind of be by myself so that I can spend some time bathing that lesson in prayer before I preach it. you got to remember, when a preacher gets up to preach, some sermons are more difficult to preach than others. You know, lessons on specific sins, the classic line is, well, yes, I want my preacher to preach on sin, I just don't want my preacher to preach on my sin. And sometimes a preacher knows that I'm covering ground today, that I know somebody in this church is, there's a problem here. That's not always an easy lesson to preach. Sometimes it's a specific topic. Sometimes preachers struggle with presenting the Christian's relationship to the political world or, you know, whatever it may be. If it's easy for the preacher to climb into the pulpit and beat people up via the sermon, it probably means that love is missing. And when a preacher loves, remember the idea that some sermons are going to be harder to deliver than others. And so those are some expectations for the pulpit, but then let's also talk about some reasonable expectations for ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, second part of verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What should you expect from the ministry of your preacher? Well, number one, you should expect ethics. Preachers are unsupervised workers. A lot of the work that a preacher does, the only one watching is God. And so ethics had better be there. Um, integrity. The life of the preacher hopefully looks like what he's getting up and talking about on Sunday. The preacher should pay his bills. One preacher with whom I'm closely acquainted, he ended up in an interim work that lasted two to three years. And the reason he was in this small town working with this church is because the preacher that had been there before had decided he just wasn't going to pay his taxes. And so when the IRS started contacting the church, 
But it was bad news. And that church felt like a preacher had really hurt their reputation in the community. The preacher should pay his bills. The preacher should be an upstanding citizen of his community. Then you also should expect participation from the preacher as an involved member of the church family. Several years ago in a class, the, the class was ministry in the local church. Okay, how does ministry work? Uh, the instructor was bringing in guest lecturers who were preachers. And Charles Abernathy, who preaches down in Florence, came in to talk to us. And he was talking about a, a, something that had happened with him. He preaches at Chisholm Hills down in Florence. And so they had planned a night where they were going to be painting a nursery or painting something. And so 7 o'clock, whatever time it is, shows up that weeknight. Well, Charles shows up to help paint. One of the members stops Charles and says, Well, Charles, haven't you already been here all day? What are you doing up here tonight to paint? And Charles was kind of taken aback by that. And he said to that member, he said, Okay, well, didn't you go to work today? And the member said, Well, yes. And Charles says, Okay, so you were at work today, and I was at work today, and now we're both up here to work on this project at church. You know, what's the big deal? Well, the member said to Charles, he said, you're the first preacher I've seen in a long time who's willing to get involved that way. Now, I think that's wrong. I think most preachers are willing to get involved that way and do get involved that way, but the problem is we always remember the guy who chose not to. The participation in, as an involved member of the family is, is normal. And then finally, number four, you should expect from your preacher imperfection. Jesus alone qualifies as the perfect preacher or minister, however you want to think about that. The Apostle Paul might be a close second, but both, most of us would hire neither of them because neither one were married. Any person who's still trying to grow is going to make mistakes. And you ought to expect that. Preachers are quite obviously human. And so those are some things that you should expect from your preacher. But the other side of that is, what is the preacher expecting from the church? What does the preacher expect from the congregation? Now, I opened with Tom Holland's article published in 1975. The, the first place I saw that was not in reading Tom Holland's book. A friend of mine was going to work with a new congregation, and one of his first bulletin he published that article for the church, and then he followed up and said, listen, there's a reason that I've done this. As I come to work here, there's some reasons that I want to be your next preacher. There are some reasons that I want my work to be as, as successful as it can possibly be. And these are the things that my friend Neil listed. He said, because my wife and kids will listen to me more than any other preacher. He said, because I may be the last preacher some of you will hear before entering into eternity. He said, because I owe a debt to my Lord because I have the privilege of turning hearts to Jesus, because I want to help you go to heaven. There are some reasons that a preacher is seriously committed to his ministry. And so hopefully the preacher is attempting to the best of his ability to serve the congregation as a man of God. And when you think about that, I think of Paul's words of thanksgiving. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, and this is near the end of his ministry, he says to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service. Some translations say putting me into ministry. And so as the preacher serves the church, he's hoping that the congregation will provide a sense of security for him that can be broken down into three basic categories. When I was putting this lesson together several years ago, 
I started listing things that a preacher might be expecting or looking for from the church. And then as I read the Commission Part 2, I realized that everything I was listing could be broken under the three categories you have in your lesson notes tonight. And they put these categories in the book and everything that I was writing down fell under these. And so, briefly take you through them. Number one, the, the preacher is looking for a sense of spiritual security. Now remember, God doesn't call perfect people into ministry. Just like He doesn't call perfect people into Christian living. See, the preacher would want the church to remember, hey, I struggle with temptations too. Preachers have weak moments. The preacher, and especially if he's a younger guy, he's thinking, you know, I'm not an elder, I'm not a shepherd yet, I'm likely not even qualified to be one of those yet, I'm still building a track record of success in my journey, you know, I'm on the journey too. See, the classic question in ministry is, who ministers to the minister? Because the minister, he may be ministering to you, but there may be those days where he's going through the valley and he actually needs you to minister to him. The preacher's also thinking, uh, under this idea of spiritual security, he needs and wants close relationships within the church family. He needs an inner circle just like we all have, but there's a problem with that. Close relationships are scary for a preacher for a couple of reasons. He needs an inner circle, but if he forms one within the church, one of the problems that he's going to face is someone will accuse him of playing, or, uh, of playing favorites. That's not what he's trying to do. It's just that like anybody, certain personalities he gravitates toward and becomes close to, closer than to maybe others. The other thing that's a little bit scary for the preacher is he someday I may move and the closer I am to people, the more it hurts when I go. But he wants and needs those close relationships. The second thing is a sense of job security. And let me try to set it up this way. In a church like this, the preacher's thinking, it's hard to have six bosses. And in an eldership where everything's running the way it's supposed to, the elders function as one, they speak as one. But even in the best of elderships, that doesn't always happen. And so the preacher's thinking, it's hard to have six bosses. Please don't make me feel like I've got 400. One of the reasons or one of the things that as we're training young preachers, we'll talk to them about, the thing that troubles me the most is to see a young guy get ready to, to, for ministry, get ready for preaching, get ready for service, and to take his very first work out of school in a church that has no elders. Because what he's doing is he's just gone to work for 50 people, 60 people, 100 people. He's going to feel like he's got 100 bosses and the pressure in doing that is huge. The preacher would want you to think in terms of the idea that, hey, as, as we interact and as we do life together, as we do church community together, the, church, the preacher, and he's not always going to have the courage to say this to the church, but he's thinking, I sure hope they remember that Matthew 18 verse 15 applies to me too. You remember that verse, don't you? That's where we're dealing. Okay, if somebody sins against me, how do we, how do we deal with that? Well, Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins, and some translations say sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Preacher's thinking, that applies to me too. Jesus didn't put exclusions on it. He didn't say if your brother sins against you, unless it's your preacher... That, do, do we live that one out? 
Because so many times, two things happen. If the preacher says something I don't like, I do one of two things. I, I may run to the elders, or I may just start talking to anyone who will listen. And neither of those really are biblical according to Matthew 18, verse 15. And there's a really good reason to go to the preacher first. How many times have you seen or had a situation in your life where there was a big mess and it all came back to miscommunication? It happens all the time. So you go to the preacher and you say first, okay, is this what I heard you say? And the preacher says yes or no. Okay, if this is what I heard you say, is this what you actually meant? two great questions because sometimes communication never happened. The preacher said one thing, I heard something completely different. Or the preacher said something and I assumed meaning that the preacher didn't have in what he said. And so a conversation one-on-one can solve that right out of the box. The other thing the preacher would want you to know is, hey, I'm occasionally going to preach a clunker of a sermon and if my wife's in the audience, she's going to let me know It's going to happen. I'm going to have a bad day. Sometimes there's weeks in ministry where there's too much ministry being done, or not too much, there just has to be too much done, and there isn't enough time for study. And it may lead to a less than stellar sermon on Sunday. Or, there's another thing that happens to preachers that all of us can identify with. You know that on Thursday morning you've got a big presentation to make it work. And for whatever reason, on Wednesday night after Bible study, everything at home goes wrong. Uh, You get into it with one of your kids and your child goes to bed angry and you're upset and then for whatever reason it translates over and you and your wife end up into it and you're upset and so Wednesday night's horrible. And have you ever noticed that when something's really bad the night before, it often affects your next day at work? Have you had that happen? You go to work and you sit down at your desk and you're trying to focus on your work but you can't focus on your work because you're thinking about all the trouble that you were going through last night. Preachers go through the same thing. And the problem is, I'm standing in the office. And if I've had a bad Saturday night, I may have a bad day in the office on Sunday. It's part of life. The last one, well, two more under the the idea of job security. The preacher would want you to know, hey, I don't have ESP. I can't come see you if I don't know you're sick. I think this church does a great job of communicating that kind of thing. And then, as with any profession under job security, the preacher would want the church to be thinking, hey, continuing education, invest in me. If you'll invest in me, what you invest in me to educate me and continue my education, it will not only bless me, but it will bless the church. It will bless our relationship. And then the last one is a sense of financial security. And times have changed related to that. Obviously, ministry is not the only profession today where the market may keep people on the move. People have to move and change jobs all the time. That's a part of life today. Thankfully, in many places today, and especially larger churches, they're doing a lot better job of of compensating their preachers. But sometimes there are still churches where, you know, the compensation thing, what they're trying to do is see how little they can get away with. You know, and the preacher's sitting there thinking, well, you know, stuff at Walmart, it costs me the same as it does you. And my kids, they're going to need an education. And it's just this idea where the preacher's thinking, please don't make me feel bad or guilty about the salary that you pay me. Because he's thinking, you know, I went to school, this is my profession, I trained myself professionally to do this work. 
and I'm already having to overcome the stigma of being a preacher. You ask any of our bankers who the last guy they want to see come in asking for a loan is. And in a lot of cases, they're going to say, most bankers will tell you that one of the last people we want to see asking for money is a preacher. There's a stigma that goes with being a minister. And it's sad because a few guys who really messed it up have created a bad stereotype for a lot of the others. And then finally, the preacher would want you to remember that it kind of feels strange to him that in a lot of cases, and a lot of larger churches are doing better with this, but in a lot of places, it's really a weird feeling for the preacher that everybody in the church knows exactly what the preacher makes. If you've been in a company where you lead people, you've got a team of people that report to you, you know that one of the things you talk about with your people is, hey, you don't discuss salaries. And you talk about that because you know and you've experienced it when people talk about salaries, then get their feelings hurt. It's just not appropriate. But then you think about the model that we've perpetuated in the church through the years. I don't know if it goes back to some of what we borrowed from the denominational world where the preacher was the pastor and he kind of ran the whole show. But I was talking to a guy about this not too long ago, not too far away from here, and we were talking about this issue and he said, yeah, it's weird to me. He said, you know, my salary's posted on the bulletin board. And, and most of us in going to work on a daily basis... That's not what we'd want at our company, but we've called that normal in a lot of places in the church. Now, a lot of larger churches are doing better. They'll, they'll combine all the salary information into one place, and when they report numbers, it comes out all together. The other thing, though, to think about here, sometimes even if the preacher's used to that and the preacher, if it doesn't really bother him, sometimes it's a much bigger deal for his family even than it is for him. Because you think about what we do. We go out and we find a new preacher and we invite him to move into our town and he comes into town knowing nobody except the church family and so the people who know him best, the people he's going to do life with, all pretty much know his financial business. It's a weird model. I don't expect that we'll fix it overnight. But just by talking about it, I hope we're a little bit more sensitive to the idea that, that some of the way we do things are just a little bit strange and that by maybe realizing that they're strange we can make it better over time. Overall, the preacher hopes that the congregation will remember some words from a song simply called Superman. It was by, written by Laszlo Bain. But the line from the song is, I can't do this all on my own. No, I'm no man. I know this church isn't going to expect that. Because I know how hard this church works and I know how many people in this church get involved in ministry and so I don't expect that from here. I know you're expecting your preacher to come in and facilitate the good work that you're already doing. And I'm excited about the future. And I hope you won't have taken anything that we've talked about tonight as negative because all I want for this church family is for great things to happen here in Savannah, Tennessee. And I'm going to close with a picture of a healthy church. Paul writes about what should be going on in the church family in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is where we'll stop tonight. Verse 11, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's, that's what we want to see. We want to see the body built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure uh, of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the picture of a healthy church. That's what we're always after. This isn't your typical sermon but we'll end it in a typical way. I just think it's a great thing that when we come together as family, we extend the Lord's invitation. And obviously, I've said it and you understand it. You don't have to wait for an invitation song to be sung. If there's something amiss in your life, you can always go to one of the shepherds and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need to make my life right. You don't have to wait for an invitation song, but we offer that. So that if there's something amiss in your life, you can make that right and you can let your church family know that you want them to be praying with you and for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to begin your walk with Christ by being baptized into Him for the remission of your sins. If you have a need tonight, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. You're my brother, you're my